Hello, I'll be doing the Bible reading today, which is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, which is on page 983 on your pew Bibles. I'll give you a moment. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, we make every effort to add your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will receive receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that in, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So we're at the point of the year where almost every conversation that our youth are having is a conversation where they are being asked about their future. Our year 12s are on the edge of beginning their HSC, and everyone wants to know, what are you doing after the HSC? Our year 11s are on the edge of starting year 12, and everyone wants to know, what are you doing after you finish the HSC? Our year 10s are about to do subject selection, And everyone wants to know what subjects they are picking and where that will lead them after they finish the HSC. All of these conversations are happening because everyone wants to know where our youth are heading. What are their plans? What's their purpose? What's their vision? What's their calling? Now, when I was in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do post high school. My subjects were English, maths, physics, history and music. They're not really related at all. There's no common thread there whatsoever. My university selection was even wilder. In my top three preferences for uni, I had law, accounting, and forensic science. I was clearly someone who had no idea what I wanted to do after year 12. Now, maybe our youth, when you ask them these questions, have a much better answer than I did. Maybe they've already identified how their skills and their passions fit together for an exciting vocational calling. Or maybe they haven't. That is okay too. But for all of us here tonight, there is a far greater and far more important calling on your life. And that is the calling to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Tonight we have witnessed one brother and two sisters confirm that calling in front of all of us. There is nothing I can say right now that is more exciting or insightful than the testimonies we just heard from them. What I can do, though, is for the next few minutes, unpack a piece of God's Word, a bit of Scripture that talks directly about our grand calling. And in this bit of Scripture, we're going to have three insights tonight. 
These three insights is that it's going to be by grace, for growth, because of the gospel. These are your three points you'll walk away from this sermon here tonight, is grace, growth, and gospel. So let's have our Bibles open, conveniently located on the pews in front of you, and let's turn to 2 Peter together and read along as we unpack this passage of Scripture. Now, if you're struggling to find where 2 Peter is in your Bibles, it's just after 1 Peter. All right, here we go. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Pause. The first words of this letter identify for us the author. The author is Peter. If you've been around church circles before, you should probably know who Peter is by now. Best friend of Jesus, apostle of the church, source for the gospel of Mark, and eventual martyr for the faith. So when it comes to this grand Christian calling, he is a pretty good authority. Reading on. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Pause. This line identifies for us who Peter is writing to. And he is writing to us. Now, how can I claim this? This letter was written almost 2,000 years ago. How can I claim that it is addressed to us? Well, Peter here identifies his recipients not by name, not by location, but by status. These are people who share the same precious faith as Peter, a faith that is based on the Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian here tonight, you have the same status before God as the Apostle Peter did. Now, I find that both incredibly uplifting and humbling. Now, I know that is a little bit of a contradiction, but I find it uplifting because God has put me far above my station. He has put me on the same level, the same status as best friend of Jesus, apostle of the church, source for the gospel of Mark, and martyr for the faith. On the other hand, it's also humbling because every other Christian is also, also has this status before God. And so therefore, I cannot be prideful, I cannot think more of myself than I need to, because we all have that status. All right, let's read verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Pause. One of the first things Peter says to us here is that he wishes grace and peace be ours in abundance. Now, this wasn't meant to be a plug for camp, but that's also the name of camp. Grace is the free and unearned favour of God. This precious faith that we all share, that we share with Peter, has been given to us free and unearned. The calling we have to be members of God's family is free and unearned. Is there a more peaceful thought than that? And God's grace does not stop there. Let me read from verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Pause. By grace, God has already given us everything we need for a godly life. But he does even more than that. He promises us that we may participate in the divine nature. Here's a reality for you. No matter how good you are, you'll never be divine. I'm sorry if that comes as a shock to any of you. But by grace, 
Christ enters into a relationship with us. He saves us from the corruption of this world. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can all share in the relationship experienced within the Godhead. You get to participate in divinity. Is there a more beautiful gift capable than that? You see, the beautiful thing about Christianity is this. It is this grace. Christianity is not about what we bring. It's not about what we do. But it's based on what Christ has graciously done for us. This is what separated Christianity from all of its pagan neighbors in the first century. You didn't have to do anything to earn the favor of God. Instead, God would give you everything you needed to live a faithful life. Youth here in the room, this grace offered to us is different to almost every experience you'll have in the next few years. In many ways, at both school and at university, your value is determined by what you do at least on the academic level. I remember first starting university, and in school I had been a straight-A student. I had been fairly good. But I did this one subject at university, Math 1003, Integral Calculus and Modelling. My final mark for this subject was exactly 50. Now, some may say I did the perfect amount of work. Others may point out that I never went to a single lecture for that subject ever. But regardless, this really shook me at first. I was used to getting excellent marks, and suddenly, here at university, in the big leagues, I had almost failed this subject. I had a bit of a crisis, because if my value couldn't come from my marks, where would it come from? But here's the thing. Christianity isn't like that at all. Your value is inherent. And to prove that value, God calls you into his kingdom by grace. Keep reading from verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Pause. You've received your faith by grace. Hopefully I have established that very well by now. But God now expects you to experience growth. These verses we look at begin to outline what it looks like to see a growth in our character that begins to reflect the character of Jesus. Now, the way the virtues are set out may make you think that you're progressing towards something. So first you have faith, then you have goodness, then comes knowledge, etc., and onwards. However, lists like this were actually very, very common in ancient They were called virtue ladders. And in these lists, the general arrangement was not that important, what was most important was the first virtue and the last virtue. So what Peter is doing here is everything in the middle is important, we should work at it, but he's really drawing our attention to the first and the last virtue. The first virtue here is faith. What Peter has in mind here is probably actually saving faith in the gospel, as we saw earlier in verse 3. It is through this faith that Jesus bestows on us all that we need to live this faithful life of godliness. Faith is the root for all of these virtues, which enables and sustains all of the others. And then at the other end of the list is love, the Greek word agape. Agape love is a love which is undeserved and unearned. Love for love's sake. Now, normally this type of love would never appear on a Greek virtue list because it was seen as a weakness. Love is something that had to be earned. Everything had to be earned in the world, but not so for Christianity. 
Because here, love is the pinnacle. Reading from verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Pause. The purpose of these virtues is growth. Whether you became a Christian five seconds ago or whether you've been a Christian for five decades, you were called to grow in these areas. You see, to be a Christian is to be an indeterminate grower. Now, in biology, the term indeterminate grower refers to an animal that will continue to grow throughout its entire life until it dies. You see, if this animal is alive, it will be growing. Now, this includes sharks, like on the screen, lizards, snakes, even coral. So to be a Christian is the same. You are to grow your entire Christian life. Another way to look at it is to use the analogy of riding a bike. To be a Christian is to be on a bike pedaling hard. Sure, sometimes you may not be pedaling as hard as others, but the Christian bike rider should never use their brakes. Now, don't have the greatest uh, track record together. Uh, I remember this one story when I was 12 years old. A friend of mine decided to go for a bike ride to the local corner store. However, the local corner store was at the very bottom of the steepest hill in the neighbourhood. This is an actual picture of that hill. Now, in that picture, it doesn't look that steep, but here's a picture of what it felt like for 12-year-old Lachlan. So, he, my friend and I are pedalling up this hill, working really, really hard. We get to the top. I look to my right. There is a water tower and a mobile tower, because there's the highest point in the suburb of Heathcote East, perfect place for a water tower and a mobile tower. Before me was this steep hill, and so I started pedaling and went down the hill. Now, I reached amazing speeds. I was having the time of my life, I was high on adrenaline, it was really good. Until I started to get a little bit scared of how fast I was going. So in my panicked 12-year-old brain, I decided to brake. I decided to brake hard. Specifically, I decided to pull the front brake of my bike hard. Now, for anyone who has ridden a bike before, or anyone who just has a basic concept of physics, pulling your front brake is not going to end well, particularly when you're going very fast. So I pulled this front brake, and I went over the handlebars, teeth first into the pavement. Now, as I lifted myself up from the pavement, one of the first things I saw was a tooth lying on the road. Now, I felt around my mouth and relief because it was the last baby tooth. All good. Then I noticed something else that also looked like a tooth. And so I felt around my mouth again, and that's when I noticed one of my front teeth was feeling particularly sharp. And that's because I'd snapped my front adult tooth completely in half. That's right, this one right here. Half fake. Now, what is the takeaway from this story? The takeaway from this story is do not break. <laughs> that doesn't apply in all situations, for the record. Do not break. To be a Christian is to be riding a bike and to be always growing, always moving forward. You are not to break. Yeah, I found where I'm up to. Yep, we're good. So, here's what we're going to do. As you pedal and work hard and as you continue to try and grow... You are, at, you are to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge 
and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Keep peddling, keep growing as a Christian, do not break. I'm going to move on to verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Pause. Here's the point of the sermon. You have a calling from God, and this is to be welcomed into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And you do this via His grace and by continuously growing in your faith. Tonight we witnessed members of our community confirm that calling. Now pray for them and partner with them as they continue to confirm that calling every day for the rest of their lives. I'm going to read the last few verses of the passage. So I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. That's our passage done. And in these final verses, Peter tells us the entire reason for this letter. Although he believes that the people he's writing to already know the truth and are already committed to it, Peter intends to remind them of it constantly until he dies. Tonight we saw people who know the gospel well, who believe in that gospel, get baptised. But as Peter explains, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. If Peter says we should constantly remind each other, then what I'm about to do for the next few minutes is to tell you the gospel. So here's the gospel. Point number one, God is a good creator. The gospel must always begin with creation because we need to establish that there exists a supreme being who is the ultimate mastermind behind this universe. He is the unmoved mover. He is the first cause. He is the one who perfectly designed this universe for life. He's also the moral arbiter, a good and loving ruler who continues to provide for his world generously and to rule it with justice. As humans, We are not just another part of this created universe. We are actually the pinnacle of creation. Now, that may sound really arrogant to you, but being the pinnacle was never designed to bring us glory, but instead was only ever meant to give glory to our creator. He commissioned us to rule over this world, to care for it, to be responsible for it, all while honouring and obeying him as our ruler and thanking him for his generosity. Point number two, humanity. We're rebels against God. Everything that is wrong in our lives and in the world stems from the fateful choice humanity has made. From the very beginning, we didn't want God to be our ruler. We rejected him as God by deciding to live our own way, in defiance of him. We don't honor and obey him as our ruler. We follow our own desires and priorities and live by the values we decide are best. The word in the Bible for this rebellious stance towards God is sin, and we all do it. Point number three, God, a God of justice. Like any good ruler, 
God cares enough to take our rebellion seriously. He, hold us account, he holds us accountable for our actions because it matters to Him when we dishonor Him. It, matter, it matters to Him when we treat other people poorly. It matters to Him that we ruin this world. But God won't let this rebellion go on forever. It would be unjust of Him to do so. Point four, Jesus, God in flesh. God loves the world he created, and he loves us. He didn't leave us to suffer the consequences of our rebellion. And so he himself entered the world as a human being, a man we now call Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect human life and did not deserve judgment in any way. He certainly didn't deserve to die. Yet Jesus did die upon a Roman cross, as God had established across a thousand years in his interaction with the nation of Israel, only a sacrifice could remove sin. However, no finite sacrifice could truly remove the enormous amount of human sin. The only sacrifice that could have an everlasting effect was to sacrifice something everlasting. And Jesus' death upon that cross became the everlasting sacrifice. He took upon himself the judgment and punishment that we deserved for being rebels because death is the punishment for rebellion, and he died our death. Point five, Jesus, the risen ruler and saviour. Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, the tomb was discovered empty, and Jesus appeared to his best friend Peter, and then to the 11 disciples who were still mourning his death. Then to over 500 people at once. Then to his own brother James, who until that point didn't believe his claims. Then to all of his disciples again, and then to Paul, who at that point had made it his life's mission to kill every Christian. The resurrection from the dead was the ultimate sign that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And he declared that the cleansing effect of his sacrifice was to be offered to everyone freely. The only condition was that you had to believe that Jesus really was God. Which leads us to point number six, you a choice. Given the gospel I have explained, you have two ways you can live your life from here. The first way to live is to continue in rebellion against God, ignoring him and running your own life your own way. Sadly, this is the choice that many people continue to make. It is sad because the end result of living this way is the rightful judgment of God. But the other way is to turn back to God, to ask for forgiveness, trusting in Jesus as the resurrected ruler and saviour then everything changes. God wipes the slate clean. He accepts Jesus' death as payment for our sinful rebellion and freely and completely forgives us. He pours his own spirit into our hearts and gives us new life that stretches past death and into eternity. We are no longer rebels, but we are part of God's own family, part of God's own kingdom. This is the gospel that Peter believed in. I hope Peter, who says that we should constantly tell the gospel to everyone, even those who already know it, would be happy with that explanation. So I started this sermon with the claim that you have an important calling on your life, a calling to be part of the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. This calling is gracefully offered, requires you to strive for growth, and relies on knowledge of and acceptance of the gospel. Grace, growth, gospel. So before we finish, let's apply these three points to ourselves. If you have never heard the gospel before tonight, I want you to look into it. 
chat to whoever brought you along to church tonight and get them to explain it to you again. The gospel is Christianity in a nutshell. It is what we believe. It is why we gather here tonight. If you already believe that gospel, then be aware that you are to grow as a Christian every day of your life for the rest of your life. So, figure out how you're going to make that happen. Maybe you need to put yourself in more places to learn about God. Church, youth, block groups, Bible studies, formal study, all really helpful ways to put yourself in a position to learn more about your faith. Maybe you need to meet regularly with a mentor or a peer to encourage each other in growth. Maybe you need to spend time reading God's Word, as this is effectively the handbook for how we are to grow in our faith. And maybe you need to spend more time praying to God that He may continue to give you everything you need to grow in godliness. Figure out how you will continue to grow and do that. Finally, for all of us, remember and focus on the fact that the gospel and our growth is gracefully given to us by God. That is the ultimate corrective to any false paths we could start down. It is all by grace. So let me pray over all of these things tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it is by grace that you give us everything we need. It is by grace that you help us grow. It is by grace you've given us this gospel. Thank you tonight for the way we have watched three of our siblings declare that they are accepting that calling to be in your kingdom for the rest of the days of their life. And I pray right now that we too may follow that lead. Amen.